Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. Hey, so we're in our series uh, in 1 John. If you want to turn there with me, chapter 1. And uh, we'll continue in it today. And this is uh, a series that we began last Sunday. So if you weren't with us, you can uh, pick it up on our podcast. You can go to rvcfresno.com and have a listen. We began the series looking at verse 1 through 4. It was really John's intro. And John lets us know exactly why he's writing this book to a group of Christians who had some doubts in their lives. There were some confusing messages that were arriving in the name of Jesus and sound doctrine that was actually false and bogus. And so John, about 100 years old now, he was the best friend of Jesus on earth. He was the one that Jesus said at the cross, he looked at John and said, John, this is now your mother. You take care of my mother, Mary. Mary, this is now your son. And from that moment, John took her in as his own mother and cared for her throughout her, the rest of her life. Uh, John was the one that, G, that was called the, the one whom Jesus loved. We know that because actually John wrote that. That's kind of ironic and weird, isn't it? Like, oh, I'm the one that Jesus loved. That's what he said in the gospel of John. But he lets us know he's writing these things for three reasons. He says, number one, we talked about last week. He says, these things I write to you so that your joy may be full. He wants us to know that God desires that your relationship with him should produce joy and fellowship as you connect with God, as you walk with him, as you seek to know him. Uh, Number two reason is we find this week, chapter uh, two, verse one. He writes these things so that you may not sin. Uh, God wants you and I to have a freedom from sin being in charge of our lives and living a life after the flesh. And the last is in chapter five. He says, these things I write to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. So joy, freedom from sin, and assurance that you and I are saved men and women. Well, he begins uh, this letter by telling us who God is. This is, this is who God is, beginning in verse 5. Now, there's some things that he's going to um, refute As these false teachers came in, they were bringing confusing messages, and so he's going to actually deal with three particular claims that they made uh, as they would go and they would teach as they had this, apparently they had a super knowledge, they were called the Gnostics, which is a Greek word for knowledge, Uh, and so apparently the the apostles were naive, these ones had a superior knowledge, they had uh, an elite understanding of who God was because they'd searched him out, and so he's going to refute some of these claims that were made uh, by by these people. Number one was the claim that they denied that that they committed sin, that they were living sinless lives, which John's going to say is like totally bogus. Number two, they denied that they had a sin nature any longer. Now that they had the super knowledge, they no longer had a sin nature. They were actually just like Jesus. And and third and last was that that they denied that sin's effect had, uh, or they denied that sin had an effect on fellowship with God. That it didn't really matter what you did or your body did, you and God were all right just the way you're living your life. And so he contradicts the claim, and then he gives a positive true statement connecting to the errors that he refutes. And then he finishes up with God's remedy. Like, how does a human being who is sinful have a relationship with a holy and pure God? So he begins in verse 5. If you're there with me, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. Here's what John says. This is the message that we have heard from him and we proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. First John deals with the character of God. He says God is light. Light is his nature. He is in essence light. The message that the apostles had heard about God and had gained from the scriptures was that God is light, that he is pure, and that he is holy. 
And in him is no darkness at all. He's totally pure, totally sinless, incapable of wickedness. And darkness, on the other hand, we see a lot of in John's writings, in the Gospel of John, and also here in the book of 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, is that, is that darkness and light are kind of always, you know, go hand in hand. And darkness in Scripture is always symbolic for evil or falsehood as well. Uh, wickedness and sin and immorality. Everything that is opposed to God's character. Jesus said that I am the light of the world. Uh, we know that in the very beginning, creation was connected to that. God said, let there be light. Uh, we read in, in, the, in, the, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6, speaking of Jesus, Paul writes this, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power, amen. And when Jesus went to Capernaum and he began his ministry in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew quotes a prophecy about the Messiah arriving, describing his life as saying this in Isaiah 9-2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Again, there's that darkness and light. And those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Not only is God physically light, in fact, we read in the book of Revelation that, that when the kingdom of God is established on earth, there is no need for a sun or moon or stars because God himself exudes the light that will be 24-7 in the kingdom of God. Well, there will be no like hours in, in God's kingdom. Uh, I always wondered when you're like kids were little, you know, like they would go, oh, I don't want to take a nap, right? And it's like, man, when well, heaven, there's no naps. And my kids were so excited. But now that you get older, you're like going, what? Heaven's not going to have any naps? You can take as many naps as you want. <laughs> Little kids can run around and stay up as long as they want as well. Because it's always light. That's not in the Bible anywhere too, by the way. So don't quote me on Instagram later going, oh, our pastor, he says some crazy things. Not in the Bible, but could be true. I'm just not sure. Here's something else about light. It reveals. And see, these false teachers were saying, guys, 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 John, Paul, uh, the other apostles, Peter, they were naive. They didn't have a full revelation that we have. We have a full knowledge, and we have searched out a secret of God, and because we've searched him diligently, he's exposed him, you know, uh, truths to us, and now we're going to share them with you. Light reveals God desires to be known. That's why he tells us in last week's message, we looked at that and the life of the word of life was manifested so that human beings could know who God is. So John says, let me tell you who God is. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now this makes sense to the readers because they were getting conflicted messages about like living your life for Jesus has nothing to do with obeying certain scriptures because you are the spirit person in you is totally connected to God and it really doesn't matter what you do with the rest of your life. That's why he sets it up saying, guys, let me tell you God's character. It, God is light. So now John deals with some of the false claims that they were making. And by the way, these are obstacles for a person who's seeking to have fellowship with God. So he says, God is light. There's no darkness in him. Now let's talk about the obstacles and some of the bogus claims. Look at verse 6 and 7. John says this. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what's so great about that Greek word, all? It means all. All means all, all the time. That's all that all means. I'm so grateful that all sin is forgiven by God. So here's the first claim. John says, guys, so if God is light, you cannot be in fellowship with him, number one, if you're walking in darkness. Because there's people who are claiming that they had a relationship with God, a genuine fellowship and partnership with God. And they denied that sin had an effect on that fellowship with God. Their teaching was that there's no need to live a holy life because the body and spirit are disconnected. Here's the problem. God's word always tells us that sin becomes a barrier between us and God. We see the seriousness of fellowship. Like if we claim things like, I'm connected to God, later on he'll have some other claims he refutes. People who say like, I know God, or I love God, but you hate your brother, you're a big old fat hairy liar, just like he says here in verse six. He says, you can't have fellowship with God and have fellowship with darkness. They're incompatible. It's impossible. We see the seriousness that fellowship and oneness and friendship with God, since God is light, no person can claim to be in fellowship with God and in fellowship with darkness. What your lips are saying, your life is not matching up to. It's not lining up. To walk in biblical terms means to do something on a continual basis. So in, in uh, what John is referring to is that they had a lifestyle of darkness. This wasn't a Christian who had moments of darkness. We all have those moments of darkness. That's why he lets us know walking in the light, we're gonna mess up and stumble, but the blood of his son, Jesus, continually cleanses us from all of our unrighteousness and all of our sin. But he's speaking of people who are walking in fellowship with darkness. Like maybe some of us have been in that spot in our lives. Maybe you know people that are like that. Where they're just out, you know, like, oh, I, I walk with God and I go to church and it's going like, dude, getting hammered drunk every single weekend night, sleeping around, you know, taking naps with other people and, uh, and you know, other, you know, sorts of behavior. It just doesn't match up. And so John says it's not working. You're not living in the truth. Many wrongly assume that they can live any way they desire and God will accept it. That's bogus. Jesus came to deal with sin. Or people would say, well, God wants me happy, so it's okay for me to disobey him over here because my personal happiness trumps God's call for holiness. Can I tell you that there's nowhere in the Bible that you'll find God wants you to be happy? And by the way, you might experience a temporary Happiness high by disobeying God. You know, the Bible tells us that sin has its pleasure for a season. For you and I to tell our young people like, hey, don't don't go out and do a bunch of sinful things because it's not fun. Really. Because I haven't seen one cool commercial about going to church, right? But every other commercial is about going to, hey, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? That's just reality. He says, guys, it's not conducive. And by the way, God wants you to be joyful, but it might mean that happiness is something that you don't experience for a season of your life because you're seeking to live a holy life. And you're getting rid of things that are destructive to your life. In Galatians, Paul tells us some of the things that sort of add up to the works of the flesh. 
These are the kinds of things that John might be referring to. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, Paul says, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life, walking in darkness... He says, uh, will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, the truth that God has made known to you and I, we read God's word. We read things that he wants us to add to our lives. He wants us to add to our lives love. He wants to add to our lives, uh, you know, uh, servanthood. He wants us to remove things from our life, selfishness and sin, anger, the things that Paul had described there, the things we read about in the New Testament. And when God's light of his word illuminates a truth, The person who's in fellowship with God says, God, that's a difficult ask, but your power that you give to me enables me to do that. You make decisions. If you claim to have fellowship with God. So that's the issue he's dealing with. He's not dealing with people who are just saying, no, I claim to walk in fellowship of darkness. Like, that's fine. You go do you. It's going to end bad, but he's talking about people who are claiming fellowship with God. He says it's not possible that you can walk in darkness and walk with God. So the conclusion John says is that you lie and you're not practicing the truth. Now here's the positive in verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light, it means to have communion with God, fellowship with God, divine friendship, closeness with him in relationship. It means to walk in purity. It means a lifestyle that conforms to the holiness of God. I spend time in his word. His word illuminates life to me. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You spend time talking with God and he begins to show you things that he wants you to add or subtract from your life. He leads you and guides you. And by the way, that daily walking in his presence And seeking to live a life that pleases him, he says two things happen. One, you have fellowship with God, divine friendship. And two, you have continual cleansing from your sin. I love what verse 7 tells us. Is that he doesn't say walk according to the light. That's perfection. Nobody can walk according to the light. Where you go, here's the standard. Here, if you don't meet it, you're not in fellowship with God. That's impossible. But when you walk in the light, you know what happens to us? We walk in the light. We're spending time with God consistently. We're saying, Lord, search my heart. See if there's any area of my life that's just out of whack with you. And you're worshiping God and God speaks to your heart about something. You're like, you know what? I need to take care of that. I need to make that right. It could be a relationship that you have to, you got to make an apology to somebody. It could be a a, a bitterness that you're holding on to and the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, let that thing go so I can bless your life. And you just make a decision to say, you know what? I'm walking in the light and he illuminates the dark areas of my life. You know, that was easy when you're a new Christian, right? You're like, I'm going to pass on grass. No more of that stuff, right? I'm going to burn up all my dirty magazines, right? And I'm going to stop cussing in front of my grandma. And you're going to go, okay, now I'm, now I'm a solid Christian. There I am walking with God. You go 20, 30, 30 years down in your journey with God, you realize like that was the easy stuff. You know what's really bad? My judgmental heart when I look at other people. Have you ever just like looked at somebody and then realized like what an evil human being you are? I can't believe you had such thoughts about that person. You're like, come on, Lord, you know you think that too. It doesn't work like that. 
Continual cleansing. See, that's what the, the Greek word actually means, an ongoing thing that happens. Want to know why? Because your pastor needs an ongoing cleansing from his sin. And so do you. Because we continue to live lives that are being sanctified by God. And little by little, he starts pulling things out of our life. And you and I get closer and closer to him. And the, you have fellowship with God walking in the light. And God's always maintaining your pure status before his eyes. That's good news. The blood of Jesus cleanses us. Because though I am a saved person and so might you this morning, we choose to walk in the light. We have moments of darkness. That's why we need that daily cleansing. He deals with a second false claim. In verse 8 and 9, he says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in verse 7, his blood continually cleanses us. In verse 9, we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. I love that John just peppers this letter with grace, with the grace of God. Here's the second false claim. There were some that believed that they no longer had a sin nature. This is, a, 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 this means, this is the noun version of sin, that you have a sin nature that still resides in you. I like to think of it as like a pilot light. You know what I mean? It's always lit. You always have a sin nature in you. You don't always have to obey that sin nature, but sometimes that phone call comes and that sin nature just flares up and says, yeah, I'm free tonight, right? It's always within us, and there were some that claimed that they no longer had a sin nature, that they were no longer sinners. Not only did they not sin any longer, they're no longer sinners. Why is that a problem? Well, because it's a lie. <laughs> That's why. And so what they did was they denied the presence of sin in their life. I love what Proverbs 28 says. People who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. We've all been infected with the sin virus. And by the way, this is why the gift that God has given to you and I is that though you, you and I are in part what God is, right? we are a triune being. You are body, soul, and spirit. Your spirit, your soul is something that lasts throughout eternity. We learn in, the, in the, uh, the New Testament that you will receive, in fact, even in 1 John, later on in chapter 3, you and I will receive a new body that will last for eternity. Flesh and blood, Paul says, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Have you noticed that your body is getting older and older and older? But have you ever stared at somebody who's like old? Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, grandfather or grandmother. I, I remember my grandmother passed away. She was 83 years old. And uh, her body was failing since I was about five years old. She had a degenerative muscle disease, so she's wheelchair bound. But internally, I'm just like, Grandma, you're like a young soul in there. And, and you can just almost like look in through their eyes and see like youth and vitality, but a body's falling apart. Want to know what the great gift of God is? Is that you don't have to take your dirty, stinky body into eternity. Like, what's wrong with him? Oh, he had a torn ACL and never got it repaired on earth. Now he's stuck with it for eternity. You know what I mean? You start losing your hair prematurely. Man, it's not going to be like that. You're going to have, you're going to be like that painter guy, Bob. Painter Bob. <laughs> Boom. Why has he got all that hair? The Lord just hooked him up this side, this side of eternity. He, he didn't have it there. You get a brand new body, and guess what? The gift is 
You don't have to carry that sin into eternity. That's why there's no sin in heaven. Because there's, no, there's, no, there's, there's not a yes internally that says, I want to disobey God. When Adam and Eve sinned and they partook of the tree of, uh, of, of, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil, God put an angel with a flaming sword out front of the tree of life. And it's almost like cruel. Like they had one temptation, don't eat the cookie. They ate the cookie. Death came and was passed down to everybody. Every single one of you is born. I know that our, our children are so precious and good. Guess what? No one teaches them how to sin. They learn how to do it better and get away with more, but you don't teach a kid how to lie. They, they're liars from day one. If they could talk, they would lie to you. Did you already eat? No. Give me another bottle. That's it. They're telling everybody. The whole neighborhood hears it. The gift was if they had partaken some theologians believe, of the tree of life, it would have cemented sin for eternity. The gift is you die. Congratulations. And when you take your next breath in heaven, you have a brand new spiritual body. Physical body, just like the Lord's. As John said last week, we were high-fiving, we were wrestling. I touched his physical resurrected body. But until then, guess what? You got a sinful pilot light that you've got to learn how to control. But they denied that they did, and he says, guys, come on. You're self-deceived. And now he says, the truth is not in them. These ones that claim to have a superior knowledge, he says, you don't have the truth in you. No one else, by the way, is deceived when someone says they're no longer a sinner. It's like, go talk to their kids. Hey, your dad said that he doesn't have a sin nature and he's not a sinner anymore. Like, oh, well, ask my mom. Now, here's the positive. Verse 9, Chuck Missler used to call this the Christian bar of soap. We could confess our sins. We confess our sins. Not try harder, confess. How many of you all sinned this week? You disobeyed God. You look back through your week and you feel, you feel a little condemned. You feel a little, man, I can't believe that I, I went there again. I did that again. I thought that again. I parked there again in my life. John doesn't say, God is looking to see if you're going to try harder next week. And then he'll decide if he'll forgive you or not. He says, here's the positive. If we confess our sins, you know what confess means? It means to say the same thing. Agree with God about your sin. That was sinful. He says, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a great comfort to us that Jesus continually purifies us as we walk in the light and cleanses us before we even utter the words, God forgive me. Now don't think that, you know, some have taken this verse to think that if you are, you know, if you don't go through the list of everything, you know, at nighttime, like, you know, that, that prayer that they teach their kids, they see they, like we never taught our kids, you know, like, and, and now I lay my head to, down my head to sleep and if I die, wait, how's it go? It's like a Metallica song, I think. Right? It's, no, it's like legitimately in a Metallica song. I'm not making that up. Uh, but they didn't write it. But it's like that prayer. Like, Lord, wake me up before I die. That's what I want to teach my kids to pray. But if I died in my sleep and I did not confess that sin, oh no, I'm going to be damned for eternity in hell. No. Your, your position with God is secure because you believed on the Lord Jesus for salvation. John's not talking about sonship or daughtership. He's talking about fellowship. 
It's talking about relationship, connection. My kids and I might have broken fellowship because they were naughty sometime during the, you know, living in our house. And, and it's not like I said, I ain't talking to you for a week. That's not what I mean. I just mean that, like, we've got to resolve an issue before we go out and play, you know, uh, paintball or something like that. It's, they're always my child, though. That, that, that son that said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I'd have half my inheritance. He found his money and he gave it to his child and says, man, go have at it. He was always a son, though he was away from fellowship with his father. So let's not confuse salvation with fellowship. But these said, I don't have sin any longer. And he says, it's, it's bogus. The truth ain't in you. But here's the good news. You confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. I love that. That's why confession and sin or and repentance ought to be a part of your prayer life. God, I'm, I'm sorry for blowing up at my spouse. God, I'm sorry for having evil thoughts. Uh, by the way, you're responsible to confess real stuff, not like, Lord, I just am sinful, so just forgive me. It's sort of like a, your magical wand of forgiveness. No, like specific things. But be careful you're not searching out. Before I ask him to bless my child who's getting ready to go to school and struggles with making friends, I better make sure I confess every single sin. I can't think of anything else, Lord. You got anything on me? It, it's just what the light illuminates, that's what you confess. Lord, you know what? I do look back last week and I see that. God, I want to ask you your forgiveness. And yes, I need to talk to that person and let them know that I'm sorry as well. His forgiveness, by the way, is based on his justice. Because sin was dealt with at the cross, paid for Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. What's that old song I used to, uh, when I learned as a new Christian? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash, that was a freaky song to sing as a new Christian. Like going to church and going like, okay, this is crazy. We're singing about somebody's blood. But when you realize that the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness. And that when, a, when God decided to become a man, to live a life I couldn't live, to ultimately give his life up on the cross and exchange all my sin for all of his righteousness, no wonder that song was pinned. Nothing else can cleanse your sin, not religion, not trying harder, not trying to, you know, do some exchange work. God, I'll go and serve the homeless if you'll take care of that sin for me. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And, and John says, you confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Here's a third thing they denied. It's in verse 10. He says this. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. It's getting worse, isn't it? And his word is not in us. My children, my little children, chapter 1, verse 1. I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Here's the third and final uh, claim that these made. They denied the practice of sin. In verse 8, sin's a noun, but here it's a verb, the practice of sin. Some are denying that they sinned any longer. You might not be conscious of sinning, but trust me, you're sinning. There's sins of commission, right? The things that you commit doing, like you lie, that would be a sin. You have a lustful thought, that would be a sin. You have a jealous thought. You have a fear that is unfounded, that is a sin, according to the Bible, but then there's sins of omission. What? It gets worse? Yes. It gets worse. 
There's things that you are omitting doing. You're not doing. There's that you and I are supposed to be doing in our lives, right? There's some subtraction that needs to take place in the Christian life, but there's some addition that needs to take place in the Christian's life. And so there's all kinds of, listen, you are a professional ninja sinner. That's what John is saying. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And see, the reason why he says his word is not in you, because his word in verse 7 says that it'll illuminate and cause you to confess your sin. And his word tells us the universal situation. Everyone has a presence of sin in their lives, not only in nature, but in practice. He says, here's the conclusion. Now you're making God a liar because he's saying that all have sinned and fallen short and his word is not truly in you. Now the balance as he moves to the positive. My little children, what a beautiful statement. A hundred-year-old pastor in Ephesus, the best friend of Jesus, a man who had been transformed from a, 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 a hostile, angry guy that wanted to call fire down upon the Samaritans because they refused their, uh, J- Jesus and the disciples to head into Jerusalem and said, no, 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 you can't come through here. We don't want you guys around here. And John's like, Lord, I'll call some fire down like Elijah right now and consume those people. And Jesus is like, calm down. Call them sons of thunder, he and his brother. But now he's the apostle of love. And listen to this tender language. My dear children, my dear children, I write these things to you. Here's the balance. So that you may not sin. Can I ask you, can I ask you a question? We had this in our, our conversation in our small group, Tam and I did last, last week uh, in our small group. I said, let's take one of the commandments, one of the Ten Commandments, and let's just say we could remove that from society. How much better would society be? What if no one ever murdered and the internal part hated anybody in our world? How how great would our world be? What if we took away adultery, that no one ever committed adultery ever in the history of the world? How many of you guys would not have to go to 14 different homes during the holidays? Right? And now we're getting, like, seriously. How many less brokenhearted kids and brokenhearted spouses would there be less of in our society if you take that one away? So what good has come in your life or in my life personally out of disobedience to God? Nothing. There is nothing good that has ever come dishonoring God in his word. There might have been a moment of pleasure, but it never brought a lasting good. And so John says, guys, as my dear little children, I want you to sin less. We already know we'll never be sinless because we still have us in nature. And even John says in verse 10, the verb, if anyone says they have not sinned, Again, making God a liar now, and his word is not in you. Sin disrupts fellowship. Sin destroys joy in our lives. You know the remedy? is confessing your sin. You know, there's too many people that miss church because they've had just a really jacked up week. I don't, I, if I go to church, God's going to strike me down with, with, with lightning bolts. I need to get some things fixed for my life before I go back to church. God is not, he doesn't, he doesn't have like a, a, a 14, you know what I mean, like steps to get you back into fellowship with God. You know what he's looking for? Your heart to admit that what you're doing is wrong and confess it 
I write these things so you may not sin. That was the second purpose of the letter, wasn't it? To freedom from sin. D.L. Moody wrote in the inside of his Bible, you could do that on a white page or a blank page, but don't cross things out. He wrote, this book will keep you from sin and sin will keep you from this book. You know, David said in Psalm 119, verse 11, he said, he said this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Strength comes to a believer. You want to be stronger against temptation? Don't, don't allow your life to go days without spending some time in this book, reading God's word, meditating upon it, memorizing some scripture. It's amazing. This, these aren't just words. It's not knowledge that gets transferred to you. It's, it's nutrition, spiritual nutrition. Like a newborn babe, Peter says, crave this pure spiritual milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You grow spiritually when you consume God's word. If you don't have a Bible, we have a million Bibles online. We have dozens. You can take any one you want. If you have a Bible that your grandma got you that is just so precious you can't write in it and underline stuff, throw that one away. Get yourself one that you can underline and mark up, right? Like this is meant for you to use. To the call to walk in the light is to depart from sin. Why? Because sin destroys. James says it brings forth death. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. It's been paid. Thank you, Jesus. But the power has also been broken in our lives. He's made it possible for you to get victory over sin. Not in your own power, but in the power and the strength of the Lord. Paul tells us in Romans 6, don't let sin reign, rule in your mortal body any longer. Romans 13 says, make no provision for your flesh to rule over your life. John has seen the destruction, and when it gets left unchecked, it grows out of control. It's possible for Jesus to set you free from anger. It is possible for Jesus to set you free from addiction. Amen? It is possible for you and I to become people free from fear and sinful thoughts that control our lives. But John knows something that everyone else knows. We're human beings, and we're going to sin. And that's why he says, but if anyone does sin, I love that verse. By the way, this was the first section that I ever taught on as a young wannabe preacher when I was 20 years old. Verse, chapter 1, verse 9, all the way through chapter 2, verse 2, because it became so rich in my own life, become such a necessary part in my own understanding of how to walk with God and God's mercy and his grace. John says, because I love you guys, avoid sin, run from it. God's not trying to destroy your fun. He's trying to save you from a, the pain of disobedience. But when we fall, when we yield to temptation, we'll never be sinless, though you might sin less longer and longer walking with Jesus. What you'll find is the closer you get to Jesus, the more you'll become sensitive to your conscience. You'll see your motives and you'll see the deep stuff that you go like, ugh, I can't believe it. I still think like that. I can't believe that was so critical of that person and so judgmental of that person. What you realize is, wow, what a sinner I am. But then you realize the next thing is, wow, what a savior we have. That he would be my advocate. Now, these are courtroom type uh, uh, terms that, that John is using here. He reminds us we have an advocate, Jesus. When we sin, by the way, you have an accuser as well, Satan. And he's going to accuse you of being guilty. And guess what? You are. But Jesus stands as our advocate in our defense as if we have a friend in court. And his dismissal of our sin isn't because of, well, that, you know, he's Italian. He's going to fly out the handle. Or he's this or he's that. 
Or he had a bad childhood. None of that counts. Confirm the reality of sin in that one's life, but as the advocate, he's already paid the penalty for those sins. What an incredible promise we have. You know, I never want RVC to ever be a place where we downplay or downgrade the grace of God. I want the work of Jesus to be what's magnified here. I want the grace of God to be something that we all get and understand. I want our young kids who are over learning to not learn about do all these things and God will like you and love you. I want them to learn like, guess what? You're naughty and you've been naughty since you were born. And God wants to forgive you and grow you as you get closer to him. It's the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness, right? Not law, not rules. God's grace. And he says this, that, by the way, the way to fellowship with God is to not deny the presence of sin or its effect on our fellowship or the fact that we still sin, but it's to actually confess it and to receive the work of the advocate on our behalf. And he says that he was the propitiation. That is a cool word that I spent all week trying to say right. It means this, the atoning sacrifice. It means that he was the satisfaction before the Father to cover the sins of humanity. And not only did it cover the guilt and the stain of human beings' sins, those that have confessed him as Savior and Lord, but also it appeased the wrath of Almighty God, something we don't talk about a lot. God's wrath on sin. If you ever want to know how ugly and vile and hateful God is and sees sin, you look 2,000 years back through the corridors of time and you see a perfect God-man Savior dying for the sins of the world. That will be enough for you and I to say, you know what, the very things that I claim that bring me joy or happiness and satisfaction are the things that sent my Savior to bear my sin and the sins of the world on the cross. He says he becomes the satisfaction for sin. The guilt is removed, the wrath of God is abated, and God's forgiveness is not based on our empty promise we're gonna try harder, but because Jesus paid it all. This means in Jesus, God offers forgiveness and pardon to all who decide to come to him. Because some of the falsehoods spreading around, some were confused, having doubts about their own standing with God. Am I okay? Did I outuse God's grace? John wants them to know that no, you have an advocate and he's still there representing you before the Father. Satan loves to pile on the guilt. You can't pray. I can't believe you're here singing this song. I can't believe that you're in church this morning after the things that you've thought, the things that you've done, right? All the different things. I know what you did last summer, Satan would say. Do you think God will hear your prayers? We have an advocate a defense attorney, if you would, who stands for us, and the work of Jesus is why forgiveness comes, and his blood was sufficient to cleanse every sin ever committed. And he says, not only for us, but the sins of the entire world. If people ever tell you that God has only died for those who would believe in him, say like, well, then John was a mistaken man because he says he's not only died for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Does it mean the whole world is saved? No, but it means that anyone who hears the gospel message, including in this room, and says, I've sinned against God, and I'm not in right relationship with him, but I want to be, that they can believe, and they can look to Jesus for salvation and have their sins removed as well. Do you have somebody in your life that you just go, not a chance? 
there's no way that he's getting saved. That is all the more reason to say, do you want to come to my church and explore the claims of Jesus Christ with me? This ought to be the safest place for your neighbors and friends to come and say, can I come here and listen without anyone judging me because they know who I am or what I've done? And can I get a Bible too? And can I read along? And can I make my own decision and come to my own conclusion of Jesus Christ and who he is? And, this, and he's the propitiation, the, the atoning sacrifice for my sins and for the sins of the whole world? We'll buy another school to fill it up if that's what we need to do. I don't want anyone ever thinking, you know what, I can't come yet. I gotta get my life straightened out. It's gonna take you an eternity to try to do that. It's for the entire world. Too often people feel like they have to get their crud together before they come. Man, bring them, invite them. Let me encourage you as we close out and we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. He loves you. He wants you to experience life in close fellowship with him. He didn't come to pound you, but to came to save you so that you could be in fellowship with him and that joy would be something tangible and real. Even as Peter said, I, we rejoice with a joy inexpressible because of our closeness in a relationship to God. God is light, so walk in the light. Walking in the light means you confess your sins and you receive the work of Jesus on your behalf for he is your advocate. As we close out this morning, is there anything hindering you today? Is there any sin that you're not dealing with? You go, you know what? That's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal. It will disrupt your fellowship. It will destroy your joy. And it will actually take over your life if you're not careful. And you deal with it today. So what do you do? Well, you confess it. Hey, God, you know what? I'm going to stop being fake with you. I'm going to get real with you as we close out in this worship song. What is an area that God's been convicting your heart? Are you allowing something that is clouding your walk with God? disrupting your fellowship with God. Come clean. Confess it this morning. Ask him to remove that sin and then come and you celebrate with believers the work that Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. We, this morning, when we partake of this bread and this juice, it is all the reminder that we need to go, I have a perfect Savior who went to the cross for me. My standing with him today is not because I've been to church 52 times straight last year or because I've read my Bible every single day for the last two months. Your standing with him this morning is because you're a sinner who realized you needed a savior and you've reached up to a perfect savior who's brought you into his family. You have fellowship with God and you walk in the light. Maybe there's something you need to confess this morning. Do it and then you come up here as we worship and you partake. And you take this juice and you take this bread and you take it back to your seat or you go over and receive some prayer off to the side and you say, Lord, I want to say thank you for the work that you have done for me, my advocate in heaven. And maybe you've joined us this morning and you've never committed your life to him. I want you to know that Jesus Christ would have went to the cross if it was just you who needed a savior. It wasn't just you. It was everybody you're sitting with, including everybody in this entire planet. But he loves you. And he wants you to experience life with him. And how does that come to you? It comes to you when you realize you're a sinner. And you come to that place in your life where you're ready to turn from that sin and commit your life to him. It's not about becoming religious. It's not be about joining a church. It's about you being made right with God who made you, created you, and wants you to experience his fellowship, his relationship. 
If that's you this morning, we're going to pray right where you're sitting this morning. We're going to ask God to touch not only this service in our lives, but as we prepare to receive a communion this morning. But if you need Jesus in your life this morning, man, I'd love to give you a chance to accept him into your life and have your sins forgiven right where you're sitting. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. And God, it is uh, with great joy that, that I have received to be able to share your word with my friends this morning, God, as we study your word together, God, as we read it, Lord, we are asking that you will, um, that you will just continue to reveal yourself to us, Lord, and, and what it means to walk in true fellowship with you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that if we confess our sins, you're the one who's faithful and just. Forgive us of our sins, cleanse us of our unrighteousness. God, you're doing that even now, God, as some of us are just reaching up to you, God, and just telling you, Lord, that we've been blowing it. We thank you, Lord, that as we walk in the light, we have our purity in your eyes maintained because of that blood that was shed, that we celebrate this morning in this cup that you took in your hands on the last night before you were betrayed at the Last Supper, and you said, this is the, the new covenant of my blood, which is for the forgiveness of people's sins. As often as you drink this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread, you told your disciples. Your body that was broken on their behalf and our behalf. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we worship you and love you. God, I also pray there might be one person here this morning who needs you. They want their sins forgiven. They want to begin a relationship with you today by faith. You're knocking on the door of their heart right now, God. And Lord, it's time for them to surrender to you. No more putting this off. With heads bowed, eyes closed, friend, if you're here and today you're ready to receive Jesus, you want your sins forgiven, you want to begin a relationship with him today by faith, I want you to simply, I want you to lift your hand up. I want you to put it up high and I want you to hold it up. And right where you're sitting, we're going to talk to God together. I'm going to pray a prayer. You're going to pray after me. But we're going to tell God together what you want to do in your life. And if that's you, I want you to simply lift your hand up high enough so I can see it. And let's pray together this morning. If that's you, you're ready to surrender your heart to the Lord. You want your sins forgiven. And you're not too young. You're not too old. He loves each and every one of you. There are people that are praying for you right now. But today's the day that you need to surrender. There's no one looking around except for me right now. But if that's you, I want you to lift your hand up. I want to pray for you. Man, he loves you so much. I want you to experience his life in a relationship with him that comes by faith. Anybody here this morning? God bless you, man. God bless you. Anybody else? You're ready to surrender your life to the Lord. You want your sins forgiven. Anybody else? Listen, for those of you that want to receive Jesus. I'm going to pray a prayer out loud. You pray something like this in your heart and you mean it. And the Bible says that Christ is going to come in to your life this morning. Pray after me now. Dear Lord Jesus, today I want to admit to you that I'm a sinner. And today I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins and that you rose from the dead. I trust and I follow you as my Lord and Savior. Jesus, guide my life and help me to do your will from this day forward. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your promise of eternal life. Thank you for your grace today. I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you just...
join me in congratulating those who just prayed. Man, what an awesome, awesome day. Here's, here's, a, here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us on the cross. As we do, uh, I'm going to invite you to stand right now. And, and maybe you just prayed with us just now to receive Jesus. You know, during this time, I want you to be able to make your way over to one of these tables on my left or right. We've got a little Bible and a little gift for you that helps you walk in your relationship with God. If you need prayer this morning, during communion time and after the service, there's also folks available for prayer. Let's worship God together. Let's celebrate what Jesus has done and won for us on the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's sing.